Amen. If we can just thank the band for leading us in worship this morning. If you have your Bible, yeah, let's do that. And if you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of James chapter 2. The reason we're in James chapter 2 is because we just finished James chapter 1 last week and we're going in order. So, James chapter 2, and as a matter of fact, I'm going to read from 1 verse 26 all the way through our passage for the day, which is 2 verse 13. So, just go there with me. It says this, If anyone thinks that he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes, and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes, saying, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool, haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Did not God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he had promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and and, and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed by the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point, he's guilty of breaking them all. For he who said do not commit adultery also said do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are to be judged by the law of freedom. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I grew up in a place uh, called Chattanooga, Tennessee. It's still called that. And the area that I lived in, because the city was is broken up, 200,000, I mean, there's a lot of people that live there. Uh, and it, it, amongst those people, it's in various suburbs, in the way that our town is broken up, you've got places like Surfside, and then you have uh, Brazoria, you, you have Clute, you also have Lake Jackson, you've got Richwood, and I've probably left one of them out because I still don't know the whole area, and I've been here for two and a half years. But when you look at Chattanooga, it's broken up into these various little sub-communities. I lived in a place called East Lake at one point. It was east of the lake. We weren't very creative in the naming of our areas. I also lived in a place called East Ridge at one point. But while I was in East Lake, I actually grew up there from the age of... Really, I was born in that community. And... I went to a church called East Lake Baptist because we weren't creative in naming churches either. And we go to church every single Sunday. My grandmother made sure that I was there. And I noticed about our congregation that we were a very white, very old, relatively affluent in comparison to those around us congregation. People who had a little bit of money and they wanted to hold on to the church of yesteryear. The thing is, as you looked around our community, you noticed that it was not very white. It was not very old. It was not very affluent. 
So the church kept processing in their minds how they were going to reach the community and everything that they wanted to do to reach the community involved going beyond the community that was actually there. We were attempting to reach out to people who lived in other places and almost to bring them in to worship with us. Now, I was not part of any leadership or planning. I was a child at the time. But I look back at that and I can think about how unique of a situation it was that we would not see the needs of those who were in our direct influence for the sake of seeing people that we found to be more and more important. Well, I also remember I was preaching a revival in Kentucky. And if you are unfamiliar, I, I've spent a decent amount of my life traveling, speaking at random events, um, whether it's student conferences or women's prayer breakfast or bar mitzvahs. And as I would speak, that's a joke, people, just go with me. And as I would speak, <laughs> that preacher goes to bar mitzvah? I mean, uh, so I, I would go and I would preach this revival. It's a very unique word, especially in 2019. When I say it, I almost feel like I should be wearing a purple suit. And when I would preach at revivals, I would always have conversations with the pastor about the congregation that he was able to minister to. I remember one conversation in particular. A worship leader had come in, the worship leader had earrings, and I'm asking the pastor about, is it okay if this worship leader has earrings? Because for whatever reason, I'm the one who has to ask these questions. As I'm asking the question, the pastor begins to let me know about his community and about how they are very white and how they don't really uh, reach out to people who are unlike them. And as I listened to him, I thought about the exact same thing and had a conversation with him over the week. What does it mean for us to, as a church to look at the people who are around us, whether it's based on their race, their social status, whether it's based on how they look or, or how they sound, and for us to judge them because of those things? I say all of these things to say, that's what James is addressing here. It's the idea of showing favoritism and looking at those around you in contempt because they don't measure up in the way that you believe that they should measure up. So you look at the text and you see it, res it should resonate with us as we hear these stories that those are not just stories that are unique to where I happen to be then. Those are stories that are absolutely part of what taking place in churches like ours all across America, even today. As in churches across the world, even right now, as people would look and they would say that our church could accomplish this if we had this type of person. That we could do these things if this type of person was part of our body. Pastor David Platt said this, We are settling for a Christianity that revolves around catering to ourselves... When the central message of Christianity is actually about abandoning ourselves. Friends, these aren't just problems in the South. These are problems that are in the heart of every single sinner. In this room and in every room beyond it. Well, we see God unfold his story to us. We see that in creation God made everyone in his own image. And I have the word everyone in caps lock on my notes. Everyone is made in the image of God. And because of that, every person, regardless of race and background, has equal value, dignity, and worth in the sight of God. There's been a fall, and sin has divided us, alienated us, not just from God, but we are also alienated from one another. Division has arisen. Hostilities have arisen between races, classes, ages, and tribes. This is why we seek relationships in generic, benign places. 
That's why some people are more comfortable in a group of people on Facebook than they are sitting in a room like this. We are seeking, we are divided, and we want to find our community in places that are comfortable to us. Through Christ, we can be reconciled to God and to each other, as one pastor puts it. We can be reconciled to people of different races. We can be reconciled to people of different classes. We can be reconciled to people of different socioeconomic statuses. We are people who are united by the one person that we have come to know as Jesus. And we trust that one day in the new creation, all things are going to be made absolutely new. And we will experience a unity that is unlike anything that we would see on this side of eternity. And that there will be diversity around the throne of God as God makes much of himself to every tribe, tongue, and nation as he has said from the very beginning. We look and we see the idea of who God is and how we as the followers of Jesus are to take this truth of what the gospel is and put it into practice in our everyday situations and in our everyday scenarios and we are to realize that we are to live with the kingdom of God in mind. In order to do that, we cannot forget something incredibly important. For us to live with God's kingdom in mind, we have to live in realization of the mercy that we have received. And here is why. If you're a note taker, feel free to write this down. Mercy received is mercy displayed. Mercy received is mercy displayed. Now as we look through the rest of the text, because we're just in the opening right now, and and we're going to break down the text in a few different ways. Chapter 2, verse 1, we see the word encouragement. So if, you feel free, if you're a note taker, write down the word encourage there. Secondly, in, in, we see in 2, verses 2 through 4, an example given to us by James as he writes this. In 2, verses 5 through 7, we see an explanation explaining something to us. And in verses 8 through 13, we see expansion or an expanding upon the idea that's been laid out. One more time for those in the back. We see this. Number 1, encouragement in 2, verse 1. Encourage. In 2, verses 2 through 4, we see an example. In 2, verses 5 through 7, we see an explanation or explain. And in 2, verse 8 through 13, we see an expansion or an expanding upon the idea. 1, we see encouragement. Encouragement starts as we look into this text. Go with me again to verse 1. My brothers and sisters, everybody, everybody listen. Do not show favoritism as you hold on on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Well, what's he pointing out? Why is this important for him to point out? Why would he encourage the believers in Jesus that this is an important thing? The reason is what I state regularly among us as we gather together each Sunday. It matters because for you to show favoritism is to violate everything that he's just said to us in the previous two verses. When you are to show favoritism, you undo so much of what God has shown. You undo compassion ministry that we see in verses 26 and 27. You undo what real religion is to care for the widows and the orphans. You, you undo the idea of being stained by the world because the world in which James lived and the world that we live in, we measure one another based on certain things. And he is saying to the believers, the followers of Jesus in this church community, for you to choose these things, for you to do these things, is for you to live in a way that does not line up with what God has said for us in, in regard to the way that we are supposed to live. The, the phrase there... Uh, 
when you read through James 2 verse 1. Do not show favoritism. Favoritism is not a word that they had. Your Bible, more than likely, because I know you, you've got an ESV and it says partiality. That's not the word that's there either. These are the best understandings in English that we have for the word that's actually there. The word literally means this. It means to look at the face. Do not look at the face of the person who walks in. Don't value someone based on what you see. Do not receive someone based on face value. Or a better way that we may put it in our language... Do not receive someone based on things that have nothing to do with their character. But that's easy to do, right? You come into a room like this, you don't know anyone. We gravitate toward the people that we're the most like. We, we judge people based upon their looks. We think this person is more attractive than this person. James is saying don't judge someone based on this external thing. There's the idea of judgment based on the language that someone uses. They may use words that we are unfamiliar with. They may even speak a language in our area that we don't know. Don't judge someone based on the language that they communicate with. He's even, as we look through the scriptures, we see Peter reference and how he almost had an accent. Uh, one friend points out it was as if Peter was a Bible hillbilly. I don't know how many hills there are there, but we know that there, that, that idea is conveyed. Don't look, at some, look down upon someone based upon how they sound. Other things that people would judge each other on. Don't show favoritism based on someone's age. We would not look around and we would say that we cannot have a relationship with someone because they are so much older than us or so much younger than us. If you're part of one of our life groups, I love that. If you're not, we would love for you to be part of a life group. We think that they're very important, but our life groups are arranged in a very strategic way. We don't want the life groups just to look homogenous. We don't want them to be the exact same thing as you sit down every week. We love to look at a group and say we have people of different ages, people who've had different life experiences. So the conversations surrounding that time together are not about what we are walking through, though God does use those times for that conversation. They're surrounded around the person of Jesus. Because that's the goal of this. As we get together and talk about the Bible, it's for us to think about the person of Jesus. It's the idea that you see when Timothy is talking to... When Paul is writing to Timothy and he says, don't let them look down upon you because you're young. It's the idea of us looking at our elders and looking at them and seeing them in the way that God sees them as if they have experienced something that would help us. It's us seeing that we're not to judge one another based on age or achievement. That we would not look at someone and say, you've done this, or you've said this, or you've accomplished this. And for us to value them because of those things. It's for us not to judge one another based on aesthetic. That we would not walk into rooms like this, or any other type of gathering and say, I can only find value for that person. Especially these spiritual gatherings. Where we would not look at someone and say... This person is unlike me. Of course they're unlike you. We're completely unlike one another. We're not grouped together based on that we wear the same things or, or choose the same things. We're basing the idea of being united in Christ about the person of Jesus. This text is using the illustration we're about to look at. Use the illustration of finances that we would not judge one another because someone has more money than the other person. Or family lineage, possibly. That you would not look at someone and say, this person I should hold in a higher esteem because of what their background is. The church is a grouping of people who have one thing and one thing ultimately in common, and that's Jesus. 
and for us to do God-honoring battle with favoritism. We are to hold on to our faith in Jesus. And to hold on to that, we remember what Jesus experienced so that we could. Where Paul says to us in Philippians, he thought not equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he took the form of a servant making himself nothing. We as followers of Jesus have one unifying trait, one unifying quality, and that we are people who are in Jesus. Now, for those of us in a room like this that gather together every Sunday, there will be people who walk into our doors, and there will be people who walk into our lives outside of this building and who do not know the Jesus that we know. But because we believe that there are eternal things at play when we consider these scriptural ideas, we want to make sure that we do not look down upon them for any of the various reasons we've listed off so that they would hear and they would know and they would experience the hope that Christian people offer them because of the person Jesus who unifies us. Are we loving to people in a way that says we invite you into what God has done? Because Jesus, when we look at his life in the Gospels, we see that he treated outsiders. We see how he treated those who were looked at outsiders by the religious establishment. We see the way Jesus treated women. We see the way that Jesus treated common laborers like shepherds. We see the way that Jesus treated those who are racially different. We see the way that Jesus treated the poor. For us to treat those who are different than us in any of those ways, in a way that is unlike Jesus, is for us to choose favoritism. Go go with me. So we see that. We see the encouragement of the writer James for us not to show favoritism. Why would he tell us not to show favoritism? He gives an example in verse 2 through 4. The reason that he tells us not to show favoritism is because it is natural for every one of us to want to show favoritism. It's written inside of us. It is, it is part of who we are for us to subconsciously to connect with people who are like us. Notice the example he gives in verse 2 through 4. For if someone comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes and also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place, and yet you say to the poor person, stand over there or sit on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Verse 4, the, the idea of evil thoughts. Haven't you displayed wickedness? James is pointing out, as he uses this illustration, that there will be some who will walk in and we will naturally gravitate towards making them feel honored because we believe that they are people to be honored. And he is saying that the church of Jesus Christ, the people of Jesus Christ, are to undo that by the way that we live, by the way that we treat those who would come into our midst. So I don't know what the seat of honor would be here at our church. Here's what I know it's not. It's not these first three rows because no one ever sits here. 
Tina and Tanya, my friends who sit on the front row, they've been working a lot. When I saw them this morning coming to church, I just sat down with them immediately and thanked them for being here because I need to pay people to sit on these rows for the most part. Imagine someone walks into our church and we tell them, you've got to sit here. You've got to sit here because we've gravitated towards them because we believe that they are an important person in our midst. But someone were to walk in and we would point them to a seat that was far, far away in the corner. It's, and the reason this is problematic, it comes down to the idea that that is us qualifying their value for God, to God and in the kingdom based on this list of things that we walk through. We believe that God could do better things through you than he could do through someone else is what we are saying And the problem with that is the Bible. That's not how God works. As a matter of fact, we see God in the Scriptures choosing the least of these regularly. And I've used the illustration here before. When God was looking for the new king of Israel, he he sent Samuel to Jesse, and Jesse had these men lined up in front of him. These were his seven sons. But God did not want any of them to be the king of Israel. And Samuel was perplexed, and God said to him, Samuel... Man looks at the outward appearance, or as James would say, man's looking at is the one who looks at the face. I look at the heart. I think of how God can change the world through whomever he chooses to change the world through. I believe that God can use people very, not depending upon how great they are, but because of how great he is. We as a church would look and we would see that we should not look down upon those who are young, no matter how young they happen to be. What would God begin to choose to start a revival in our midst through 5th and 6th grade boys? Through middle school girls? What if God in his sovereignty and providence starts a revival in our midst through, through the ladies who gather together for Wednesday night Bible study and Thursday morning Bible study? What if God does God-sized things through human people, not because of their limitations, but because He is limitless? Because God is not bound by the things that we are bound by. James says that people here are wrong for two reasons. One, they become judges with evil motives. For us to not deal with our subconscious desire to elevate those who we think should be elevated is for us not to deal with the evil motives inside of us. We also see that God has chosen the poor to be rich in faith. It's us as a church seeing that God has called us to this community, to the neighborhoods that we live in, to the people that we interact with every day, and we are to not value them because of how valuable we believe they are, but because of how valuable God believes they are. Because God made them in his image. It's called the Imago Day. Every one of us in his image. One of the ways that I think about in our church and how I'm protected by our elders as the pastor of this congregation, as Jared pastors alongside of me, I am protected because I don't know what you make. I don't need to know what you make. I don't know what you give. I don't need to know what you give. I don't need to know your resources. And it allows me to honorable, hopefully choose to serve you as your pastor well because they're setting me up for success because I would not even be tempted to know this person does this or this person has that. 
I want to always, we hope as the leadership of this church to never find your value in what, how valuable your pocketbook happens to be. You matter to us as a congregation because you matter to God first and foremost. And that's it. So we see this passage, the, the example. You will want to show favoritism. He goes further in verses 5 through 7 where he gives an explanation. You will want to show favoritism because you have shown favoritism. That's what he says to them, verse 5 through 7. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Encouraging, good words there, brothers and sisters. I love you, I care for you, you matter to me. Did not God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have dishonored the poor. Did God not value the poor? He actually talks about poverty. Jesus cared for those who were the least of these. Yet you, church that I'm dealing with, church of the dispersion in the book of James, dispersion is this big Bible word and it just means church of those who have been separated and cast apart. You are doing what you should not do by honoring someone based on their financial value or their, those numerous others of the list that I gave. This is not a commentary on every rich person in their community, nor is it a commentary on every rich person in ours when the passage tells us that the rich have mistreated them. But historically, the Jewish people were oppressed. That, that word in the original language means the Jewish people had the life squeezed out of them regularly. We see that through the Bible. We see that by their own decisions, um, as part of God's providential plan, but we, we see them being captives to Egypt. We see them being captives to Babylon. We see it all over the scriptures. And we see that they would have the life squeezed out of them. And in that hopeless breathlessness, they would cry out to God. And God, who is faithful to them, would rescue them. They were oppressed people. And in this current situation, the same thing is taking place. Jewish Christians are being looked down upon because of what they believe and because of the poverty that they are experiencing that is connected to it. This led to them being taken advantage of because they were poor to the point of having to live in debt to these rich people who oversaw them. And James is saying that as he looks at them, for you as the church that I'm writing to, to value those who are wealthy is for you to do the same thing as those you've been pointing to as mistreating you all of these years. Friends, for us as believers in Jesus, to see the world that we live in and the way that Christ seems to see the world is for us not to find value so only because of what we can see externally, but by what God is doing internally and choosing to do internally. In James's day, in an hour day, and an every day in between, what we see in the church, what we see taking place in the church, is that there are people who claim that the Word of God matters, but they are in actuality living like it doesn't matter. Because God has said to us over and over, as you read through the Old Testament, God has a high value on those who are the least of these. In the New Testament, we see that God has an incredible value on those who are the least of these. As a matter of fact, when the 
James and John come to Jesus or they send his mother to Jesus based on which, which one of the gospel accounts you read and they ask him, hey, one of my boys wants to sit here. One of my boys wants to sit here. Jesus says, I can't answer you that. I just know this. The first shall be last and the least shall be first. Jesus is very clear that he is not someone who measures someone's value based upon how valuable everyone else thinks they are. For us to choose to do that is for us to live in a way that is unlike Christ. He's explaining this to us. In James' day, we see this. Verse 7, he goes even further. Don't... They blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you. For followers of Jesus to show favoritism in any way, for any reason is to devalue the name of Jesus. To devalue someone based on the externals is to look down on their souls. So what's that mean as you gentlemen drive to the plants every day? This is where it gets the rubber meets the road. The chemical meets the plant. What does it mean for followers of Jesus to interact with those who are not followers of Jesus in a way that says that they are valued? What does it mean for us to choose to show mercy and grace in a way that brings great honor to Jesus regularly? Why? Because mercy matters. We see that in verses 8 through 13 as he expands upon the idea mercy matters. Mercy is a big deal in the Bible. It's you. Verse 8 to 8. Read with me. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in the scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If you show your if however you show favoritism, you commit sin and you're convicted by the law as transgressors. If you fulfill the royal law prescribed by the scriptures, love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. We, we call this the golden rule, in a sense. Do unto others as they would do unto you. But it goes even further when Jesus talks about it. The royal law, this golden idea, you cannot do this, friends, without Jesus. You cannot do to others as Christ would have you to do. You cannot love your neighbor as yourself apart from Jesus. There's a law of liberty that talks about here. The law of liberty, it's where we use, it's that James uses, it's, it's synonymous with the gospel, the message of Jesus. If you're unfamiliar with the word gospel, it means that God has come down to us. God has met with us. God has died a death in our place and God offers life for us in exchange. We look, and that's in holy, the person of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. Jesus dies for us. God dies for us. The law of liberty, the gospel. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. So you've got a couple of different laws at place as you read through um, the scriptures. There's the idea of vertical law. There's the idea, idea of horizontal law. Vertical is this. No, this. Vertical is this. I didn't say I'm an engineer. Deep and wide. We know the song. 
If you love God, you'll obey him vertically. We actually see these listed out in the Old Testament in the Bible's top ten list. No other gods before me. Don't make idols. Don't misuse God's name. Keep the Sabbath day holy. That's the vertical law. The horizontal law is how we treat one another, the people who sit around you, whether it's in this room or in another room. If you love your neighbor, you will honor your parents. You won't murder. You won't commit adultery. You won't steal. You won't give false testimony. You won't covet. James is about to do something that is hard to digest for me as someone who looks at a world and thinks that murder is bad. Who thinks that adultery is terrible. Who would, who would say these things are against God's will. And that everyone in general would look at and say they are against the will of God. James compares favoritism to one of those things. If you show favoritism, it's as if you have done this. He compares showing favoritism to knowing that you are not supposed to murder or lie. And if you know you are not supposed to murder or lie and you murder, you've broken law, right? This is a participation part of our program. If you know you are not supposed to murder or lie and you murder, have you broken the law? If you lie, have you broken the law? If you lie and did not murder, have you broken the law? Yeah. You know that you're not supposed to murder, so you should know you're not supposed to show favoritism. If you show favoritism, you have broken the law. Because James is treating the law as a whole piece, not ten separate things, not two separate things. These Ten Commandments come down to one. Honor God, and we happen to honor God by the way we treat others. These two commandments of love the Lord your God for, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, come down to one. Love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love God and love man for God's sake. This is one piece. He has just reduced this. We've been doing math at our house, and we do lots of reductions, lots of division, lots of common denominators. If you break any of this, you broke all of it, he says. Don't show favoritism. My favorite shirt. I have a favorite shirt. Does anyone else in the room have a favorite shirt? Wives, does your husband have favorite shirts? All right, we know what they are. My favorite shirt, I've had to say goodbye to it. It was purchased in 2013. It has moved me through many eras of fashion. But I kept taking it to the dry cleaner. Because we've got cheap dry cleaners here, y'all. A dollar for a shirt? Do it, man. They never replace your buttons, but they dry clean your shirts. Shirt kept being dry cleaned. One day I get the, the bags back to take back to the house and... All of the shirts that need to be pressed are there, and I just can't find my favorite gray shirt. It's hanging by itself on a hanger, and it's not ironed. I take this there for them to iron it so I don't have to iron. And I noticed when I picked it up 
that there was a hole across the back, the width of the shirt. That's width, remember? The width, vertical. Now, I could have walked into this room wearing that shirt because the hole's in the back. And I could moonwalk around this sanctuary and you would never notice the hole was in the shirt. But the moment you saw my lower back, you would say, that man should not be pastor in this congregation. Because there's something there that has undone the shirt. James is saying, this is all undone when we show favoritism. When you show favoritism, you're saying that there are other gods before God. Because God doesn't show favoritism. When you show favoritism, you're making an idol. That idol just happens to be you. When you show favoritism, you're misusing the name of God because our God is a healer and a provider and he cares for the afflicted and the brokenhearted. When you show favoritism, you're not keeping God's Sabbath holy because he's actually talking about a gathering of people that are getting together in some way around the notion of Sabbath. When you show favoritism, you're not honoring your neighbor when you show favoritism you're breaking all of these things because you're saying that someone is more important than what God has told you is important don't show favoritism that means that we would not look at these outward traits and see them as what matters the most but that we would pursue the fruit of the spirit Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Not a Granny Smith apple, nor a coconut. We would pursue these things to display that our God matters to us. That we would display these things. That we would, in, we would engage in showing these things. Verse 11. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, don't murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. If you don't commit adultery and you show favoritism, you're a lawbreaker. If you don't murder and you show favoritism, you're a lawbreaker. James is harsh. Let me play the good cop for just a moment. If you show favoritism, at the very least, you have a gospel distortion. You may be disconnected from it altogether. God is serious about favoritism because favoritism is saying that he's not your favorite. When God is who we choose, when God is who we serve, when God is who everything comes back to that we see in verse 2, when we hold Jesus as glorious, these other things will not be. So our natural heart is going to want to pursue those things. So you have to fight supernaturally not to pursue favoritism. James is saying, if you have all, if all you have is the right stuff to know, right? If all you have are the things that you're supposed to know, but that doesn't affect the way that you see people, treat people, love people, respond to people, care for people. You have an instruction manual that you're just not using. Our church is called Grace Bible Church. 
pretty general when you think about it. We come to know God because of grace. We understand what grace is through the Bible. To the person of Jesus caring for us. If we are not a gracious people who show Jesus to the world around us because of what the Bible teaches, you have an instruction manual that you're choosing not to use. Can you imagine trying to... I know you can. Trying to put something together that you've purchased willy-nilly with no direction. Wives are shaking their heads. My husband does that all the time. That's insanity. For us not to do what God has told us to do as followers of Jesus, that's just as crazy. You have an instruction manual that you're just choosing not to use. You can't read this. You can't spend time in this. You can't know Jesus through this. And that not affect the way that you treat other people. Love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything surrounds itself around this. James just expounded upon it for us. Do this for me this morning. I want you to bow your heads. Friends, if you happen to be with us today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want you to know that there is one hope. People will let you down. By God's grace, we go forward in this whole not showing favoritism business, but people are going to let you down. But if you've never trusted in Jesus... He does not let you down. He is for you. He fights for you. He's for the oppressed, for the brokenhearted, for the poor in spirit, for the literally poor. He's for the single mom and the single dad. He's for those who have been mistreated. He wants to. He wants you to know. He wants you to honor him, and he wants you to know that in his death and resurrection, he is honored that you can have a relationship with him so if you've never trusted in Christ but that's something you would like to do I want to give you some handles Jesus I need you a conversation with him like that is very helpful Jesus I need you for all the saints in this room right now I want you to pray like right now if there are those who aren't believers that God would save them today Jesus I need you I need you to save me because I'm a sinner and there is hope for me and that is only in you. You have died in my place so that I could know you and love you. So Jesus, I give you my sin. I take the life you offer in exchange. Even now, I go with encouraging people who may not be believers to think through that. I know my people and I've been having conversations with some of you about you sharing your faith, you having opportunities to share your faith, you wanting to share your faith, you want to tell someone about this Jesus. And I just want you to pray that over your friends right now. Jesus, show them that they need you. Because there's no hope outside of and apart from Jesus for any of us. 
So if you're here and you trusted in Christ this morning for the first time, I'm at the back of the room. I'm going to ask you to take a pretty bold step and walk over and talk to me. And let me walk with you just a little bit through what the Bible teaches about you having a relationship with Jesus. Some of us in the room who are believers have been convicted of our desire, though it may be subconscious, maybe even hidden, to show favoritism. Maybe you've seen it in your own life, in your own heart. What if we took just one minute of this next song for you just to pray, God? God, break my heart. Convict me when I do that. Convict me of this acceptable sin in the eyes of the world because it's unacceptable in your eyes. Let me show the grace that you've shown me. Let me show the love that you've shown me. Let me display the mercy that you have given to me. Friends, if any of you need me, I'm in the back of the room. I would just ask for my life group leaders to be aware. And in the event someone he's prayed with, feel free to move towards them. Lord, we ask all this in your name. We trust you.